Hi there and welcome to the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We're two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive. So get involved. Get involved. Mitchell, how's your week been? It's been good. Good week this week. Super Rugby AU final over the weekend. Bit of ping pong thrown in there as well for good measure. So I had a good weekend. It was epic, mate. Yeah, so uh, for those who aren't in the know, we both, well, I ran and Mitch participated in an event called the Ping Pongathon. It's basically a 24-hour fundraiser where we were trying to raise money to prevent human trafficking and child sex slavery in Southeast Asia. So the event has finished. We raised as our venue $12,000, which is pretty awesome. That's awesome. And I'm just going to quickly plug it before we move on. Um, basically, if anybody listening is keen to support, basically it works with local organizations to prevent the things that I said before. So you know that the vast majority of the money is going to on the ground work to help those people in need. So if you're keen to help out, please go to pingpongathon.com slash Northridge, N-O-R-T-H-R-I-D-G-E and anything you can contribute, hugely, hugely valued. Um, But anyway, why don't you take us through our social media platforms, my friend? Yeah, so if you want to follow us on social media, we're on three different platforms. Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. We're on Facebook, on a page just pick and drive rugby podcast we're also on twitter at at pick underscore drive rugby so give us a like on all of those and give us a follow keen as so tonight it's going to be relatively simple we're going to hit up our spicy news which we'll flow straight to in a moment as well as very obviously talking about the super rugby au final um before we get to it what we're planning on doing for next week and i'm pretty sure this is what we've spoken about mitch is basically (laughs) just doing a super rugby au review is that sounding right in your books i think we've mentioned that yeah Yep, good. Okay, That's that is good. what we're doing. That is where we're going. So just know that next week that is going to be coming. We're going to track through each of the Aussie franchises and just kind of have a bit of a discussion about where their season ended up. And if we were to give them a rating, what would that rating be? So why don't we head on into our spicy news? Let's do it. Let's move into the news. So let's go. So first up, we're gonna we're gonna break this into domestic news and international news. We only have a little bit of international news, so should we... Actually, let's dive into that first because there's only yeah, one point. Yeah, let's do that. So it has been confirmed, and I, I don't think we mentioned this last week, did we, Endo? No, no, we didn't. We didn't. Okay, so this came out this week that the Bledisloe fixtures, the two games to be held in New Zealand, have been confirmed and they are going ahead. So last week we did mention there was some uh, negotiations that were going on between Rugby Australia and New Zealand Rugby. Also, uh, Dave Rennie was not happy with some of the conditions that... Uh, New Zealand was putting forth in in terms of the fact that they could only fly in very late, have to isolate for the majority of the week, get together, I think a a day or two before game day and then play a test, which he just was like, no, this isn't, this isn't good enough. This isn't happening. So what has happened, uh, New Zealand has relaxed some of their quarantine laws just for this fixture to go ahead. So it's just for Australia and rugby Australia. It's not just for anyone. Um, (laughs) But what that has meant that we can, we can travel over there. We can have a, a decent preparation. It's still probably not ideal, but being, things being what they are, um, we will get to prepare a little bit earlier than we were initially being told we could, and we will play the two tests. So they have been confirmed to be playing on October the 11th and the 18th, which are Sundays, and the yeah. game's going to be played in the afternoon. 
I'm pretty excited about this. I mean, I think some rationality or common sense has come into play here insofar as what they're setting up is a bubble arrangement, much like we've seen for the NRL and AFL within Australia. So the team will fly in, get given some facilities and places to base themselves. And they just basically won't have any contact with people outside of the touring group and they'll get regular testing. And if anything happens or if anyone does get COVID, then they'll address that as it comes. But it just, it, I think there was a lot of um, pushback against the fact that New Zealand lost the rugby championship to (laughs) New South Wales slash Australia. Um, And when there was Dave Rennie came out and said, no, we're not doing this under the current arrangements. I, I just wonder if there was a bit of a panic moment from NZIU and just the NZ politicians going, Oh no, Oh no, we can't lose the Bledisloy games as well. Um, We (laughs) we need to make sure we get some games. That was definitely something that was talked about midweek as well, that Australia may have snatched those two games as well, which is crazy. Absolutely crazy. I know. I know. So it's worked out well in the end. So um, two, the problem is we're starting off two away games against New Zealand to begin our international campaign. Like I think it was always, it was always going to have to happen, but yeah. under the current yeah. circumstances, I'm, I'm happy to have this, happy to let them go over and play and then have the rugby champs in Australia. Correct. What is interesting though, another point we haven't actually put on the, on the spicy news list on our end of things. Uh, it's been a few different sources have been saying this and it's a little bit of a contentious topic because some of the players themselves have come out and rubbished what uh, reports are. But what people are saying is that the, a lot of New Zealand players and particularly their high end and high quality players aren't happy about coming to Australia for such a long time and being away from their families for so long that they're saying, I'm, I'm not going. Uh, the names that have been sort of linked to this kind of boycott of the competition are Sevu Reese, R- Richie Mawanga, <clears throat> sorry, uh, Dane Coles, Odin Barrett. It's pretty, it's pretty big. And I think the biggest part of their concern uh, was that there was a potential that they would be forced to go into two-week quarantine on their return, which would go over Christmas. So they'd be spending Christmas in a hotel room separate from their families. And if that's the case with the timing of things, then uh, you, you can really understand it. Um, a lot of the players have had to, particularly I know from an Australian point of view, if you say from the Rebels and the Force, they've had to go through a whole lot being away from their families. Um, They've been away for two and a half months. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Um, So you can understand where some New Zealand players are coming from, wanting to make sure that families are priority over Christmas, especially if they have young kids. Yeah, well, there's a few players in that list as well that have recently had new babies or new um, family members. So that has also been a point of contention, I would imagine, for those players. But what is funny as well is Dane Coles was one of the players that was initially talked about as not wanting to leave. Um, But when he was asked this question by reporters, he said, no way. He said, I've got a family of young kids. I'd be on that plane straight away. (laughs) I'm out. I'm out of this country. I don't want to have to hang around them. (laughs) So, so I don't know. I don't know um, either way, whether we say, 100% 100% fact or it's a little bit of he said she said at this stage yeah I think we'll have to just play it by ear and see like see what happens but I think realistically the games will go ahead and it will be more likely to see the stars there than not yeah. so I think yeah I think we'll see the full New Zealand squad I hope so I hope so yeah okay let's move into the domestic side of things and the first point we've got today is that the Wallabies have announced their full coaching contingent so the spot that was left open that hadn't been announced yet was the Wallabies Ford coach. And it has been announced that Jeff Parling, former England player, 
um, for former British and Irish Lions player has taken the spot. Also former Rebels player and coach. <laughs> yeah, so it was touted that Dan McKellar was going to be taking that position, but he's um, committed his future to the Brumbies, which I think is a pretty smart move. Um, he has a good thing going with the Brumbies and recognizes that if he stays there, then he can build a bit of a dynasty, which will set him up. I'm thinking to be the next Wolves coach. And so we'll, we'll, we'll just see how things go, but he's really in my mind, it's a smart play because he's distancing himself from, um, any potential issues that might come from Dave Rennie's tenure. Like if things don't go to plan and Rennie isn't the savior of Australian rugby, like he's kind of being touted to be, um, then, then it may well be that McKellar is the next in line. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's yeah, it's smart. I agree. I agree. Um, Brad Thorne. This is an interesting one since we're talking about coaching. Before, before we move off that point though, like we did, we spoke oh, yeah. more about um, who turned the job down than who got it. What are your thoughts around Jeff Parling as a, as the coach. Well, oh, look, I don't know a huge amount about him. I know he's renowned to be a line out and mall expert. Um, it just obviously leaves me wondering who's going to be doing the scrum, um, which, I mean, we should have the basis for quite a strong scrum at this point in time. Yeah. Um, it really has been on the improvement over the last kind of three or four years. And so I hope that we don't slide more backslide in that area, but I'm confident that our line out and mall will be operating effectively because it's his area of special, special. Yeah. Um, he's a specialist in that area. He's an expert and the rebels had the highest line out success percentage in the super rugby competition. Uh, so he's obviously doing something right down there. Yeah, definitely. I think he'll be a good combination with the, the other forward coach or the other coaches that we've got named. So look forward to seeing yeah. what he's going to bring to the team. But the, the other thing too, is that he's an international player. So, He's only played in Australian rugby one year. He came to the Rebels uh, the year before last, 2018, I think, off memory. Played his final game of professional, uh, final year of professional rugby with the Rebels and then became their forward or um, their sort of line-out coach. So he's gone really quickly from player to national coach or in the national mm. setup quickly. Yep. Um, and he hasn't got too much of an experience of Australian rugby, but hopefully he can bring some of his knowledge from international playing in Europe and playing for the British and Irish Lions to add a different sort of element to that back to the coaching structure. I think it might also be a case if he was the only guy around in Australia that was doing. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, with travel being what it is and restrictions uh, being what they are, um, I'm not sure if they really had much choice. Uh, so he is a good option, but I wonder if he's a good option out of not many options. What about Laurie Fisher? Yeah, I mean, it's his name ever one. come up? He was interviewed for, was it the Rugby Ruckus or Rugby Nation? Yeah, Rugby Ruckus. Um, rugby Ruckus. And they asked him the question, would he consider coaching the Wallaby setup? And he said, he's never been asked. And I mean, he is renowned as being one of the best kind of technical coaches in Australian rugby. He is well-liked um, both by players and the media and by fans. And I'm just surprised he isn't someone that comes up more in these types of conversations. Well, rugby.com.au is reporting through the Australian newspaper that Fisher turned down the coaching opportunity due to family commitments. Oh, okay. Mm. All right. All right. Cool. Um, shall we move on? Yeah. Next point. All right. Brad Thorne. Brad Thorne. Now, Brad Thorne has had a bit of a legacy going at the Reds over the last couple of years. Well, that's not the right word. He's been building towards something. But the fascinating thing is he doesn't have a contract for next year and he's been relatively coy 
about whether or not he is going to be around next year. So that's a fascinating point. Imagine if they got rid of Thorne or changed Thorne out and he wasn't available and had to bring in a new coach. I wonder what would happen with the playing roster, whether there'd be much change or... Because many of them are loyal to him. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting considering that he's brought them to the Super Rugby AU final, didn't win it, but came very close. And he doesn't seem... Not that he doesn't seem interested, but he hasn't committed to another year. So the, at this point, it's Monday night. The game was played on Saturday. He's obviously saying that there hasn't been anything discussed. You know, we can't, I can't, we can't reveal anything that those discussions haven't happened yet. But there are sort of whispers going around that he's linked to join the Broncos next year on the coaching panel there. So people are sort of thinking maybe he might make a switch back to league. Surely not at this point. Give him like two or three years and you might, I would not be surprised to see something like that, but he's been building towards something. Well, that's like why he, you would think he would want to stay. And if yeah. asked, you would think if he was a hundred percent behind it, he'd say, yep, I'm back next year. I, I want, I want to be here. The, the negotiation hasn't happened. I haven't put pen to paper, but I want to be here. I want to take these boys through to the final and I want to win this thing. The fact that he's being so coy about it just makes, puts those doubts in people's minds. So it's, it's strange. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, uh, Morgan Tyranny, we were saying that he thinks the Reds are the favourites next year to take the title and assuming that it's another Super Rugby AU competition. Yeah. And that's just interesting because there's obviously some people out there that highly rate the Reds. I mean, you and I are really big fans of them. Yep. Um, and he, I just don't understand why he'd be playing coy at that point in time. Yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe his tone will change over the next few days, but saying it like that it's just it's not good pr in my mind no exactly exactly anyway so moving on to a coach that has re-signed for next year the western force have announced today that they or announced this week sorry that they have re-signed samson on for another few years i believe yep so todd samson signed up again i thought he did pretty well with the force yeah um with what he had i thought they played quite i mean we'll speak about them in more detail next week uh but yeah i'm happy to see him come back on board. I think it's a good thing. Continuity, stability within a club. Hopefully they can retain some of their key players and um, some of the young guns that have been coming forward as well. Well, that moves us into the next point beautifully. So the Western Force have announced two more signings this week. So they have re-signed Kyle Godwin. There was talks earlier this year that he was had put pen to paper with the Waratahs. The reports are saying this week that he's actually backed out of that contract and decided to stay with the Western Force, which is a good thing, I, I think. Um, being a Waratahs player, uh, fan, I am sad to see him not being in our team, but the fact that he's still staying in Australian rugby, I personally think he would do more at the force than he would do at the Waratahs anyway, just due to the nature of the two teams. So I'm happy to see that. Um, Ian Pry has also signed on another contract, so he's back again next year. Do you want to reveal the big signing for this for next year? Look, the big signing, hopefully, if you're listening, you know, if you follow enough rugby that you've heard this, Tavita Kurandrani has signed on for the Western Force, leaving the Brumbies after many, many years of dedicated service. Many a so, year, yeah. Many a year. So, yeah, it's really impressive. Um, that's a big signing. And I want, just wonder if there, if some of his dip in form is due to some behind the scenes stuff that's now just been revealed that has meant that he's been unsettled, hasn't had focus on his game, on his preparation. I mean, players will never say that external things influence their performance, but they're human. Surely they do. Uh, So yeah, I wonder if this is some of the reason why he has, apart from the final, been poor over the last four to six weeks. Possibly, possibly. We will never know. 
we will never know. <laughs> um, were you happy or surprised when you saw this uh, change? I was surprised. I didn't see it coming, but I'm not unhappy about it. There's, we spoke about this at, on Friday at the Ping Pongathon. Uh, it was announced last week that um, Tom Robinson has also signed with the Western Force for next year. So they've now got, well, locked in Tom Robinson, Kyle Godwin, Tavita Kuandrani, and Ian Pryor. So they've got the makings of some pretty good stable players in key positions across this team. There's talks that the Western Force haven't signed any sort of agreement with Rugby Australia to be included in Super Rugby AU next year, if that is to go ahead. They're looking at potentially joining a New Zealand competition. It's all a little bit wishy-washy. We don't really know any certainty either way. But the fact that they've signed these three big key players makes me think that their intention is to play in Australia. Because... Yeah. Yep. I just don't see because if they if any if travel was anything like it is now, you'd essentially be requiring a force to go and relocate themselves to New Zealand for any competition that they join over there. And oh, well, yeah, I did, what they're saying is that they're going to relocate to New Zealand long yep. term. Which, which just to me off. just I can't imagine that you would get the agreement from players like Godwin Kurindrani. I mean Godwin is Perth born and raised. Yeah. And so is Ian Pryor. Yeah, so is Ian Pryor. And Kurindrani is... Um, Fijian. Well, he's obviously born, <laughs> born in Fiji. But he's been with the Brumbies since 2012. Yeah. So he would obviously have a lot of roots here. And I just don't really see him being willing to sign for the force and then go live in New Zealand. Well, Tom um, Robinson as well. Like, he didn't make the Wallaby squad this year, but he's not far off it. And we would, no. we would say... I think we spoke about this last week, but we would say that's mostly due to the fact that he's had quite a bad year of injuries and he's been off the majority of the end of last year and the beginning of this year. He only really started to put some games together towards the end of the, the Waratahs run into the Super Rugby AU. So mm. he's still kind of ticking around and sort of on the border of being a, a Wallabies player. He wouldn't go off and sign with an international club um, and, and lose that chance. I mean, and if he was going to do that, he'd go overseas and get big bucks for it. I don't imagine they're getting squillions from the Western Force to be signing. I still think that there's some connection with Rugby Australia for these players to still be eligible for the Wallabies. Yeah, I think so. Uh, especially when you consider the fact that Tom Robinson uh, is also studying medicine as well. And you'd think he'd probably need to be in the Australian tertiary system for his studies to yeah. continue. Um, so that's just an external factor that might be in play here. But yeah, I think they're good signings. And I think we'll see a lot more movement over the coming weeks. Definitely. So the next point that we've got is around Jordan Pattaya. So for those who haven't caught the final, um, we will talk about it in a bit more detail next, but Jordan Pattaya picked up another injury in this game. And this bloke's got to have the worst run of injuries of any professional player in the last like 20 years because <laughs> it feels like he's only really been able to scrap together a handful of games at a time before he's off injured again. He is out for three to six weeks. So he's got a grade two hip flexor injury. And he's going to be missing the first game on October 11th at the absolute minimum. Uh, but it's, from the sounds of it, it's likely it's going to take him out for longer than that. So that, uh, that brings up some pretty big questions for who's going to be 13. I wonder if you're going to see Hunter Paisami come into the picture uh, for that. Or if they actually draft Kieran Johnny in as injury replacement. Oh, cover. my God. <laughs> How funny would that be? Kuhn... Oh, poor guy. I mean, Kieran Johnny wasn't involved in the injury in the first... No, it was Simone. Um, and Kundrani yeah. wasn't involved in 
initially, but you would think that he's probably seen Patego engine and just gone, Oh, you beauty, <laughs> which could have been I mean, why he played so well. Maybe. I think, I think also when you consider the fact that um, Hunter Paisami, this is debut season. And yet Paisami is supposedly being touted as a better 13 than Kurandrani. I just find that hard to believe. And like, I know Kurandrani hasn't been on the best form, but surely the number of caps that he has counts for something. Yeah, you would think so. But even Morgan Turanui has been saying for weeks now that he thinks Hunter Paisami is ready for international footy and that his game, his style of game suits the international arena. I, I don't mm. particularly know. I've not played international rugby myself, so <laughs> I'll take it at face value. But yeah, it's interesting. All right. All the best for Jordan Pataya. Let's move on. Do you want to say this last point, Ando? I think you're a bit more across it than I am. Uh, the Rob Clark stuff? Yes. Yeah, cool. So Rob Clark is the interim CEO of Rugby Australia. He was only brought in to replace Railing Castle on a six-month uh, term. But he has, in, with the agreement of Hamish McLennan, the chairman of the board, has um, extended the, his tenure until, what, March 2021, I think it is. And basically, there's, there's, a lot of pushes, there's a lot of push from Hamish McLennan for that to be made a permanent, for Rob Clark to stay on as a permanent CEO. But uh, Rob Clark is very much in all interviews and things like that. When he's, whenever he's asked a question, he's saying, no, I don't want to be. Like, this is an interim and temporary thing that I'm doing to help. Um, we are trying to look for people, but I am just here to help and fill the gap. He also supposedly enjoys yachting around the Mediterranean, which if <laughs> that is not the most rugby union thing in history, then I don't know what is. Um, <laughs> that's great. That's, actually, yeah, that's pretty brilliant. <laughs> so anyway, I think he's doing a very good job. Yeah, um, he is. Things have stabilised over the last few weeks, uh, last few months. And look... You could, you could ask the question how much of that is because uh, News Corp isn't just doing hatchet articles every second it's like day. they've given up. It's like they've yeah. given up. Yeah, exactly. So how much is it uh, the fact that Railing Castle is not there or how much is it that he actually is doing a good job? Um, it's, <laughs> that's a question for another time. But regardless, things are moving in the right direction. The recent uh, stealing of rugby championship from New Zealand is a massive coup yeah, and huge. a massive feather in his and McLennan's caps. Definitely. So yeah. Yeah. Good. I'm happy. I'm glad he's staying on. Yeah. I'm glad to have him on. I, I wouldn't be upset if he was to take it full time, but obviously he's, he said he doesn't want it. We'll see what happens. The last um, point this week before we move off, just a little bit of a um, Waratahs bit of news. So it was announced today, Monday afternoon that the Waratahs and X-Blades, their kit sponsor have parted ways. So they're saying that the, due to the current COVID-19 situation, X-Blades is no longer able to fulfill their contract of three years. They signed at the end of 2019. Um, so immediately, they're no longer going to be associated with the Waratahs or providing any kit for them. And we're going to have to look at another kit sponsor for next year, which is going to be interesting. I mean, I wonder if that increases the value of my Waratahs Heritage jersey. Um, we'll definitely we'll never see that run it was we yeah. will definitely never see that played in that's for sure <laughs> i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad. but anyway okay i think we can move on with from the news my friend i think that's it so let's um let's dive into the final all right let's go all 
All right, we move now to the Super Rugby AU Grand Final. And this was a really entertaining game on many, many levels. But before we actually get into our thoughts, opinions, analysis, commentary, all of that jazz, we thought we would do a bit of a different approach to our normal chit chat back and forth, get your impressions, that kind of thing, as we chat about games, as we have ch chatted about games previously. And what we're going to do is we're going to run through this basic format of four things. Firstly, what our first impressions were. Secondly, what, what we believe the key moment in the game was. Two key players each, and then our final thoughts. So first impressions, key moment, key players, final thoughts. So Mitch, I'm going to throw to you, my friend. What were your first impressions at the end of the game? So this was a first impression was that it was so good to have a final just like to have a super rugby domestic final where we've got two teams going for it and someone gets to, to throw up the trophy at the end with a bit of confetti and, and fireworks. It was awesome. It's just something that's been lacking in super rugby for so long that you get to the end of the year and someone's playing a final, but it's normally not an Australian team and it's never two Australian teams. So I just, I love that first of all. And it was just, it was a cracker game. It was so tight as well. So final score ended up being 28-23 to the Brumbies. But at, at one point early in the second half, the Brumbies got up to a 14-point lead and the Reds sort of mowed them down and was pushing them hard in the end of the game, at the end of that second half. So it was a good game. It was, it was exciting. I really think so. I think my kind of first impression at the end was that there was just uh, a lack of experience that was able to come together for the Reds, particularly when they had two of their best players sidelined with injury with Pattaya and Lukansar Kailoto off. And I just don't think they had the depth or the experience to be able to effectively cover for those losses. I mean, Hegarty coming on as a replacement for Pattaya. Hegarty is not bad, but he's nowhere near the quality of Pattaya. And it just shows, I think, that this Reds team is nearly there but is not yet there. So I was very, very, I, I was going for the Reds. So I was, I kind of consider myself a quasi Reds supporter um, <laughs> this season. I've really enjoyed the way they played and yeah. kind of the approach of the team. And I was just, I was a little bit proud and just thought they, they fought really, really well. They never gave up. And, but for a few, um, but for ill discipline, they probably win this game. If it was ill discipline and a little bit more of uh, game awareness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, mate, let's head into the key moments then. And if you don't mind, I'm actually going to jump in first for this one because it ties in it. really well. So you just said game awareness. My key moment of the game was around the 75th minute where the Reds receive a penalty down pretty, pretty deep in the Brumbies half. And instead of taking the three points to take the game to 28 to 26 to the Brumbies, they decide to go for the corner, go for the line out, and try and get the try to even up the scores and then hopefully get the conversion. Now, if they'd taken the kick, they would have received the kickoff and still had about three minutes most likely to try and get in position either to get a penalty awarded um, for them or to take a drop goal. So they decided to take the kick to the corner, lose the line out, Brumby's clear, and there goes the attacking opportunity. And there's just so much. I was with a couple of friends at home um, watching the game and they aren't the biggest rugby fans. So they didn't really get why I was screaming, take the three, take the three. But <laughs> when, when I saw James O'Connor lining up, I was actually really disappointed because I was hoping that his experience and maturity would settle the decision. 
and get them to not make that rash impulsive let's go all out but actually recognize the posit the field position that they had also the fact they were going to get the ball back combined with the fact that their line out had not been good all game and so all they were year. trusting yeah yeah all year but particularly this game yeah. as well especially with losing um Sakai Loto as well so uh, there was just so much going on that I just made me think this was a bad decision and unfortunately for myself and the Reds, it, it played out the way that I feared it did. And after that, the Brumbies just locked the game down. We had our usual three minutes of wasted scrums at the end of the game. And uh, yeah, the Brumbies just cleared it out. and Just grounded it out, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which you understand. They didn't do anything wrong. They did exactly what a good team should do in that situation. Um, I just think the Rebels' lack of ex- the, the Reds' lack of experience showed there and they should have taken the three. So that's my key moment, my friend. What was yours? My key moment was about the 70th minute when um, Brad Thorne decided to substitute Tate McDermott. So he had been electric towards in the second half. So he, all game really, he was the only real spark in the Reds attack that for whatever reason, this game, they just never seemed to get into a rhythm. They lost Pattaya towards the end of the first half. He didn't come back for the second half. He was the one that kept them in close by scoring or setting up a try. But then in the second half, they just never seemed to be able to get go forward ball. They were never able to make momentum. But Tate McDermott was the one that was still always there, making the big tackles, making the breaks, doing his little side steps through the defense. He sets up a really good try that gets them back within five points when they were down by 14, not that long ago. Um, and just the fact that the, there's 10 minutes to go He's playing really well. He's one of the only players on the team that's actually sort of got that ability to spark something from nothing. And then Brad Thorne takes him off and replaces him with Sorovi, who didn't really do anything. If anything, he played badly. He he's, had a couple of wayward passes that really yeah, disrupted he's, the rhythm of the attack. His basics were just not up to scratch. He was throwing the ball behind the player. He, he resulted in a lot of knock-ons in, in that last 10 minutes and they just lost any form of momentum. From that point on, they didn't get back up the other end. Yeah, I mean, part of the Reds' defensive structure and it requires Tate McDermott to do a lot of sprinting and sweeping in order to cover the defence. So the way that they do their rush defence often leaves them isol- uh, outgunned on the outside. So if the Brumbies can get the ball wide, it's up to the back three, well, basically yep. the fullback and... Yeah, yeah. Um, and McDermott to get over and cover. So maybe they're seeing something in regards to his fatigue that we're not, but just from the simple quality difference between those two players, I was in agreement. Yeah, I was surprised that they were taking McDermott off. He's that player that that just seems... Taniela Tupo's playing 80 minutes. Scott Seo's playing 80 minutes. Like, they're props. They're playing 80 minutes. Why does... There's 10 minutes left. Leave him on. And it ultimately costs him the game, I feel. Yeah, it was a big decision. A very big decision. Well, mate, let's move now to the key players. I started first last time, so why don't you take this? Okay, um, so... Who are your... Why don't you tell us who the two are and then go through one. So, key players, first of all, for the Reds, I did just give him a massive boost, so I'm going to go with Tate McDermott. He was just electric <laughs> all game until he came off uh, for the Reds, and then I will even out a little bit, so don't think we're all just Reds tonight. Number two was Noel Alessio for the, for the Brumbies. He did really well as well. What was it about Lalesio's game that um, impressed you so much? We've already heard a bit about McDermott. Yeah, so Lalesio had a, had an injury. This is his first time back in the starting side. His first game back after, I think, four to six weeks. Can't remember exactly like how long. Six. Yeah, six, yeah, six right. weeks off. Um, comes back for a final in 10. Such an iconic role. 
people were wondering if this was going to be the right choice, but he just was cool. He was calm, collected. He just seemed to make the right choice all the time. He wasn't overawed by the game. He was making, his passes were sticking. His kicks were finding touch. He made a really tactically smart drop goal when they had advantage. So he was just doing really, really well and showed that he's got that composure to match it at that top level. And that's why people are now saying that he should be starting for the Wallabies. I think that's probably a step too far at this stage, but he did very well in this. I think what we'll see is O'Connor start uh, at 10. And then over the course of the rugby championship, will Lesio get given opportunities until yep. maybe by the end or at whatever comes after the rugby championship, Alessio is the one that's starting with O'Connor as utility back or yep. maybe even Tamua. Well, Tamu would probably still stay 12. Um, but it may well be that O'Connor is a utility back who can cover a variety of positions. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm glad that you highlighted his drop goal. I was so impressed with that. You don't often see Australian 10s taking no. drop goals. So the fact that he, A, has that skill set, but B, has a confidence to be able to do so is what I was really, really pleased with when I was seeing him play. And he, he already knew that that was going to be the outcome and he wasn't going to waste time by doing it. So they had the penalty advantage. He was in a better position where he was to take the drop goal than he was if he took the shot. So he just took it, he nailed it, and he got back to playing the game. So he's not waiting around wasting two or three minutes to take a shot at goal when at that point they was, the, talk, the scores were still a little bit tight. So, yeah, it was really smart tactically. It's good to see that. Heads up. He also, um, yeah, he's also really happy to take the ball to the line, much like Will Harrison is as well. Um, actually, most all the 10s in Australian rugby are quite happy to get a bit of contact, which yeah. is, is, is good to see. Um, but Walesio is the one that was able to do the kind of the step, the jink, and then the offload to Muirhead, who was able to dart in and get, get his try. So that was just really impressive to see him be able to make good decisions in contact as well yeah. as the other skills that you would be hoping a fly half does have. Uh, so that was really impressive. Um, anything more you want to say about McDermott or are you, do you think you've covered him already? He's just, he's just getting better and better each week. And he's really, I think he outplayed Joe Powell. Everyone said Joe Powell had a really great game. Um, I thought he played a lot better than Powell and, and had more of an impact on the game. Uh, I would be pushing for him to be starting at the Wallabies come um, October 11 or 18. So, yeah, I just think he's doing the basics really well. He has that little sidestep that just seems to jink him around the defensive line and just make, find space through players that doesn't look to be there. He just seems to get yep. through. It's it's really cool to see. So um, I'm just really loving all the aspects that he has. He's got a good pass. He's got a good box kick and he can run around the field as well. So he's ticking all the boxes for me at the moment. Mate, talking about filthy sidesteps. Did you see Chesham Colby's sidestep on Jacob Stockdale? I haven't seen it, no. Oh, my friend. It is one of the best rugby steps you are ever going to see. I'm going to Google um, it quickly. So quick, quickly Google it. Jacob Stock, uh, Stockdale and Chesham Colby. It's in a recent, um, I think it's Champions Cup game between Toulouse and Ulster. And it's just absolutely filthy the way that he's able to get around him. One of the things I'm really looking forward to if the rugby championship does go ahead is I'm hoping that all the South African players do actually get released by their French clubs. Because yeah. it would be something else to be able to see Jason Colby play in person. Yeah. He's just electric. The, the way that he stepped around Owen Farrell in the uh, final of the World Cup was just incredible. Yeah. And I mean, I don't hate... Owen Farrell, but I, I was kind of happy that he got stepped in such a way at the end of the game. Um, 
I'm happy that any Englishman got stepped that way. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, um, why don't I head to my key players now? Yeah. So the two, the two players that I just identified, one of them, I, I was going to pick Alessio, but then when I heard you again, I swapped out from that. So my two are Tavita Kurandrani and Lockie McCaffrey. Okay. So Tavita Kurandrani held his position against the Wallaby squad member, Len Ikatao. And, uh, who didn't, <laughs> he even, didn't make even make the 23. <laughs> um, and he had a point to prove, I think. So he ran with his usual levels of um, speed and aggressiveness and physicality and was bending the defensive line of the Reds all night. And it was his runs that ended up setting up that try for um, Muirhead because Alessio is able to make a little dart off around a couple of players that are kind of realigning in defense because of the half break that Kurandrani has made. And then he had a second involvement in the same phase play as well. So he, he had something to prove. He was running with aggression. He didn't have any of the defensive lapses that we saw against Jordan Pattaya um, two weeks ago. So he had an all round better game and he's still only 29. I keep thinking he's older because he's just massive and has been around forever. He's been around so long. Yeah, so he still has like another three good years to give to the force if he decides to stay there for that long. I don't know the length of his current deal. Um, But he was somebody that really, him coming back into form, helped with the defensive alignment for the Brumbies that shut down the Reds and also gave them another attacking string to their bow that they were able to use pretty effectively. Um, Lockie McCaffrey. Lockie McCaffrey has not been the starting six for the Brumbies all year. That's been Rob Valentini. And in this game, I just wonder if the Brumbies were looking for some absolute mongrel and physicality in defense and a never say die work ethic. He is not that, um, what's the right word? Like enigmatic. He's not that explosive in attack. He's not going to be somebody that's making line breaks and getting sweet offloads around the corner or something like that. He's not making the highlight reel. No, he's not making a highlight reel, but he's that in close kind of like, oh, just that guy that you would always want in your team, but never want to come up against player. And what he did in my mind on the weekend was just do the quiet stuff that allowed the players around him to shine. And one of the thankless tasks he had was after the initial hit up, inevitably from Tavita Kurandrani off like a line out play or something like that. You know how the forwards wrap around the back and usually there's one forward runner looping around, it hits it up into a defense that's just waiting for him. Yeah. Lockie, Lockie McCaffrey is the one that's taking those hits every single time and just getting monstered. Um, but he was always willing. He's always willing to take those. Um, <laughs> And the thing, maybe it's because I'm a big old softy. The thi- there are two things that I loved about McCaffrey on the weekend. Uh, number one, when they were getting, you know how the teams all crouch down in front of the kind of cardboard sponsor oh, yeah. banner and they, they finally do the big cheer with the, with the um, trophy. McCaffrey had his little girl Harper in his arms as he was doing that and she'd be like, 12 uh probably, yeah about a year old maybe 18 months old I and she's I'd, 12 i was like she didn't look that no no, old. no um 12 months or 18 months old and it was just i don't know there's this little gooey soft part oh, of me that really what a thought that was cute part. oh i know i'm a softie and the second part <laughs> i thought was freaking hilarious was as soon as the whistle goes what is lucky mccaffrey oh do? yeah he crash tackles um, Nick, White. Nick White to the ground, who they live on uh, McCaffrey's farm together with Alan Alatoa. And he's just like landing kisses all over him, just going, yes, we did it. Mwah, 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 mwah. Yeah. 
this? And I just found it, oh, I just thought it was hilarious. It's one of those moments you watch that you just love because they're obviously like Deathmate so elated that they've done this thing together. So that one is less of a, like, obviously I think he played well, um, but also I just um, thought those two moments were the ever mentioned as well. So that's why I've chosen him. Cool. Very nice. Well, why don't we head to our final thoughts now? I've just rabbited on for a bit about my love affair with Lockie McCaffrey. So, um, <laughs> what about Ryan you... Lonigan? Where was Ryan uh, Lonigan this week? Ryan Lonigan was not there. Although I just find it really fascinating that he's been on the bench for the last like three, four, four games or so. Um, for the bench, deputizing under Nick White and Joe Powell's been out of the squad. And then as soon as Alessio is back, Joe Powell's back in and that obviously bumps White to the bench and Lonergan off. So there must be a huge amount of kind of combinations that There's the a weird thing. believe in. There is a weird thing that I was noticing a lot in that last... How, when did Nick White come on? How long did he play? 15 minutes? Like, 20, nah, 20, 25. Yeah, so when he came on, Noel D'Alessio went into fullback, a uh, halfback a lot. I don't know. I don't realize... I didn't realize why he was doing it, like where Nick White was. But there was a number of times that I noticed in that last 20, 25 minutes of the game that Noel Alessio was playing as the halfback and feeding from the back of the ruck. Oh, really? Whether if that was a pick move where they, w- they wanted Nick White to run the ball off the base of the ruck, take up that first hit, and then Alessio comes in as the halfback to feed it out wide, I don't know. That could be why that he's, made, he's there over Lonergan mm. because yep. he, know, he knows that they're going to do that or whatever. I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Lonergan's running game hasn't always been his strength. I just think he's a great kicker. And that's one of the things I really value. But anyway, this isn't about Lonergan. What are your <laughs> final thoughts? He wasn't even playing, wasn't even in the squad. Um, what are your final thoughts on this game, my friend, before we wrap up? Final thoughts. So the Reds did very well to hold on and to come back so close at the end of the game. There was a little bit of luck involved in that, I think. The Brumbies definitely deserve to win this game. So they were the out and out best team this year. They showed Agreed. through this game that they deserve to win it. Um, the Reds would have done very well to come back and take it off them, but I don't think it would have been a true indication of the game. I do think that the, the Brumbies were the better team on the night. So well done. They deserve the win. This is a massive performance by this Red, young Reds team. A few, few points that would change for next year. So like, don't get the injuries to their star players. Take the points. Don't go for the line out when you know you're behind, just a little bit of composure that they will get from being together for another year. This team will be really, really... um, So I definitely think they're going to be the team to contend with next year. I don't know what's happening around the Brumbies, around who they're losing and who they're keeping and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I just, I really like the way the Reds played this game. Um, But I'm really happy that the Brumbies won as well. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, um, my final thoughts are that the Reds lacked discipline. And particularly in the first half, the first 20 to 30 minutes, the Reds just gave away penalty after penalty, whether it's through lazy high shots on attacking players. So if uh, um, Angus Blythe got one, Dongunia got one, he got carded later in the game at the 50th minute for a tip tackle that was pretty unnecessary. Um, Not necessarily a tip tackle as well. Well, he lifted the legs up beyond the horizontal. That's why I'm calling it a tip tackle. But Lockie McCaffrey also sort of jumped into it. But anyway... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He kind of did. But regardless, the legs went beyond the horizontal, which is enough these days for that to kind of get called against you. Um, They just, in my mind, because of, like you said, they're a young team. They lack that composure. They lack that maturity. That seemed to be the thing that was hampering them where, like, what do the Brumbies, how do the Brumbies win games? 
they keep possession, they keep, they get territory, and they use their rolling mall, the driving mall. And that's what they did for the opening try. And it's just as simple as that. If you're going to give away two penalties and let them march down the field, the Brumbies will convert into points yep. because they are that efficient and they are a good team. And I don't know whether the Reds, the Reds had been hyped up too much pre-game, whether they were just inexperienced and un- unable to kind of keep a cool head. So one that plays hard, but plays rationally as well. They were playing into the strengths of the Brumbies by being so ill-disciplined. And really, in my mind, whilst I can talk about the key moments of my belief of not taking a three in that kind of 75th minute, in my mind, the reason overall why they lost the game was a lack of discipline, mm-hmm. which you can also kind of say it's a lack of experience. But anyway, that's my final thought, my friend. Yeah, nice. I think we've gone through that without having to talk about the ref. Yeah, yeah, look... Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get my timer here. You've got thirty seconds. Okay, you... <laughs> you're gonna let me have a have a crack. Yep, thirty seconds. Okay, I'm gonna put it up on the screen so you can see it whilst we're going. All right, three, two, one, go. All right, I was disappointed by Angus's performance this in the final. I don't think he's been the best referee this year. I don't think he deserved to get the final. He had. There were so many calls that could have gone against the Brumbies that he didn't pull up and so many things that the Reds were doing that he wasn't awarding. So the scrums were just a mess. The breakdown was an absolute travesty. There was just stuff going all over the place. Um, 50-50 calls were going the Brumbies' way. So the Reds did well to stick in it. Um, But again, as we've said, the composure was really theirs to lose and that's the reason that they they lost ultimately. It's not Angus's fault. Okay. (laughs) Well done. Well done. You kept that to the 30 seconds. Excellent. Um... Mate, I'm pretty happy to wrap things up here. Is yeah. how are you feeling? Yeah, good. Okay, my rant. <laughs> yeah, we, we gotta let it out, don't we? Um, so everybody, thank you so much for listening tonight. It's been really fun. I hope you've enjoyed the kind of little bit more structured format of going through the game. Um, then please give us some feedback. Let us know if you want us to continue. We're thinking we'll do this for the rugby championship games as well. Definitely. Uh, but we are going to be back next week. Don't worry. Even though there's no rugby, we'll still be recording. And <laughs> we're going to do a recap of the Super Rugby AU season, looking at each of the teams. Again, we'll keep it structured so we're not just uh, nattering on. And um, yeah, I look forward to ch- chatting with you all next week. Mitchell, any final words? Yeah, so we're going to do our review of Super Rugby AU next week, how each team did, how our thoughts were. We are predominantly Waratahs fans. We do like the Reds as well. Um, but we would love to hear what your thoughts are. So if you're yep. a, a Brumbies supporter, a Western Force supporter, whatever, let us know your thoughts so we can chuck them in there as well. If you were happy how your team went, you thought we'd done better, whatever it is, we just we want your input. So we've got something to talk about. So it's not just <laughs> us saying what we think. We'd love to hear your input. So we'll put some stuff up on social media this week. We'll ask some, some pointed questions that we're going to sort of we're going to look at in each team and we want to hear your opinions on that. So definitely hit up our social media accounts and and let us know what you think. Brilliant. All right, let's leave it there. Thank you everybody for listening and have a wonderful day. We'll catch you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of pick and drive rugby podcast. You can follow us on social media at the following outlets. Follow our Facebook page at pick and drive rugby podcast. Send us a tweet at at pick underscore drive rugby. Follow our Instagram at pick underscore drive underscore rugby or send us an email at pickanddriverugby at gmail.com. 
We'd love to hear any questions or feedback you may have, so get in touch. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week.